Living in a relationship with someone requires a lot of practical awareness of how to do it well. Each person is on a private and personal journey that is unlike any other. Now, that means there will be times when helping your friends will be challenging because they are not like you. They think differently. They are in a different place with the Lord. And you really need to know how to discern them because if you can't discern them well, you will not be able to help them Before I get into this podcast, what I want to do is I'm I'm going to scoot to the bottom of this article, and I'm going to give you the two two of the call to action items so that you can have, I want you to have somebody in your mind as you listen to this podcast. It's a question number one in the call to action is, what two things did the Spirit heighten in your awareness as you listen to this podcast? Now, attached to that question is, what are your biblical responses to this light that he gave you. And so I want you to think about, ask the Spirit of God to give you two things, just to, just to bring two things to your mind as you think about a difficult person in your life. And then question number two is, what individual do you need to help? All right, so now who is this person that you need to help? What do you need to do to position yourself as a means of redemptive grace in their lives? Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is Six Practical Thoughts When Helping a Difficult Person. Now, the way that I want to get into this podcast, before I give you the six practical thoughts for helping a problematic person, I want to give you three examples of folks who do not know how to live well with others. And because of that, they have relational tension in their lives. The first one is Mabel. Mabel committed adultery three years ago and eventually left her marriage. Biff is choosing to remember Mabel for how she was early in the marriage while not indexing forward to how Mabel is today. He still remembers his ex-wife as the woman he fell in love with and the woman who fell in love with him. Biff is hanging on to how things used to be while living in denial regarding how things are. He does this for several reasons. One is that he's naive when it comes to thinking about the human condition. Biff has never given much thought to why people do what they do. He's not wired that way. He lives a live and let live. He's, he's a live and let live kind of guy. But today he's in a situation where his ex-wife has ulterior motives to do him harm. Biff is three years behind in his thinking because she committed adultery three years ago. When he found out about the adultery, what did he do? He buried his head in the sand, hoping his problems would go away. They have not gone away, but only exacerbated as Mabel took him to the cleaners. She is dancing with the devil while refusing to repent. Biff is clinging to a sentimental past. And that's why I said living in a relationship with someone requires practical awareness of how to do it well. 
Well, Biff doesn't have that practical awareness. He chooses not to. He needs to index forward to the reality of where his ex-wife is today. Illustration number two is Biffina. Biffina wants a relationship with her dad. She has always wanted a relationship with him. She just turned 30 years old. She hopes to reclaim what she lost as a little girl. Her dad is a self-centered jerk, but Buffina refuses to acknowledge it. Rather than seeing him for who he is, she blames herself, thinking there is something wrong with her. She always saw her daddy as mature, and she as the child. It has not clicked with her that she is now the adult in the room with more maturity than her dad. God saved her as a 17-year-old, and, and she has made significant changes in her life. But she has fallen into the trap of thinking her daddy has been keeping up the pace by changing too. Bilfina went to college, started attending another church, and God continues to do some amazing things. Her dad, sadly, he continues to binge watch TV, drink beer, surf the net, hang with the boys, and, and live like he always has. A child's view of their parents must change to an adult one, a, an adult view, after the child leaves the home. And so we have Biff here who refuses to index forward with Mabel who is living a different life than what he wants to remember. We have Biffina here who who has fallen for the trap thinking that everybody's moving along at the same pace, specifically her daddy. And then we have Bart Bart's best friend was his mentor for years, Bert. Bert was Bart's go-to guy when it, when it came to all things about the Bible. Bart was a, a rash, raw recruit in the Lord's army, and Bert took him under his wing as his mentor. You know, first impressions are lasting, and when Bert's marriage hit the rocks— Bart could not believe it. He held Bert in such high regard that he could not fathom how the mighty could fall so far. His wrong-headed perspective was it was a case of not being able to see the trees for the forest. Bart was too naive when it came to the human condition. He uploaded spirituality from a single-faceted perspective meaning the single-faceted perspective was, he's my mentor, therefore he has it all together. See, Bart did not include a robust understanding and application of the doctrine of sin. Bert is not unlike Bart. Bert is not unlike the rest of us. Sometimes you hear a people's surprise when a pastor falls into sin. In this case, it was a mentor, not a pastor. Why is this a surprise? I mean, really, what makes your pastor or what makes your mentor, what makes me different from you? Bart saw himself as the student and Bert as the teacher. At some point, Bart should have thought more clearly and proactively about his friend. Bert has never had it all together. None of us do. It's a myth to believe there is an exceptional people group who have it all together. 
And so as you reflect on your friends from the call to action that I gave you a few moments ago, that you have one or two, maybe more, people in your mind, I want to give you six tips to think about so that you can help them to keep on keeping on for Jesus. Now, my advice is not a call to uncharitably judge them, but to discern them. There's a difference here, and the difference is between unhelpful judgments and humble assessments will be the motivation of your heart. A self-righteous person will look down on someone and inappropriately judge them. A gospel-motivated person will, will want to assess their friends, but they will do it with a different attitude. Christians want to understand their friends correctly so that they can help them practically. Now, perhaps these six ideas would make for an excellent small group discussion. If you have a few friends interested In this type of conversation, will you ask the Lord to move you all in that direction? The redemptive work of the Lord in your hearts could be life-changing for how you interact with each other. And so the title of this podcast is Six Practical Thoughts when helping a difficult person. You have the individual or individuals in your mind. You have de-elevated your heart. You're not looking down on them. And so let's start with tip number one. That is the doctrine of sin. You see, sin never takes a holiday for anyone. Each person is susceptible to sinfulness all the time, with no exceptions. Satan and his demons are alive and well on planet Earth, and they are roaming about, seeking whom seeking whom they can devour. That's why Peter said in 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Your friends and family are some of the people that the devil and his minions would like to devour. Number one, the doctrine of sin. Let me give you an example. You may call your pastor, Pastor Smith, that's fine. Unless his last name is not Smith, then that'd be a problem. But you may call your pastor, pastor or whatever. But don't be naive, thinking his title insulates him from sin. His struggles are not unlike yours. He may even struggle more because of the weight of his office and the nature of what the job requires. If the demons could take out a leader... The temptations of sheep could motivate them to scatter. What more significant coup could the evil ones accomplish? One of the worst things you could do is pull back from a Christian leader, assuming they are above the wiles of the evil ones. Don't do that. The doctrine of sin does not permit anyone to live insulated from its destructiveness. And so I'm giving you six practical thoughts when helping a difficult person. Now, uh, maybe your pastor is not a difficult person, and so it applies to the undifficult person, too. The first one is the doctrine of sin. Number two, a different pace. Now, we saw that with uh, Bifina as she was thinking about her dad, her dad, well, he has no pace. He is stuck, and Bifina is moving along. 
Well, the point here is don't assume your friend or your family member is moving at your pace. They could be maturing faster than you or progressing at a much slower rate. Maybe they became Christians later than you. Whatever their situation, they are not moving at your pace. Nobody is moving at your pace, which means they don't think and respond the way that you do. Now, one of the places where this is particularly insightful and helpful is with your spouse and and with your children, especially with spouses. You can just assume that your spouse is, you, you, you go to the same, you attend the same, you're part of the same church, you attend the same church meetings, you listen to the same sermons, and you could assume that you're processing and responding the same. You're not. I regularly tell people in counseling, and I'm putting this in quotation marks because you, you might hear this in a, in a way that I don't intend, intend, but I've said this many times, and again, only if I know the person carefully because you do want to be careful about saying this, but for this podcast, I'll just say it this way. I don't care where they are in, the, in their spirituality. I just need to know where they are. It matters not to me at the moment if the person is saved or lost. Now, of course, it does matter ultimately. But the main thing is to know exactly where they are right now. It's not as important as where they are as it is for you to know where they are. And you cannot assume where they are. You don't want to do that. At the heart of the gospel is Jesus finding us where we were. He did not stand in heaven beckoning us to come to him. No. He took on flesh and came to where we were so he could take us to a better place. Ask the Spirit to give you insight regarding how sin is affecting your friend or or family member and where they are with their journey with God. Six practical tips to help people. One, the doctrine of sin. Number two, everybody's at a different pace. Number three, live in reality. When you see your friend getting angry or using coarse language, or not engaging their local church. It's commentary on who they are at their heart level. If you discern a lack of spiritual disciplines or a little affection for Christ, you are accurately understanding them. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you have. It is easy to want to think the best and hope the best about your friends. Oh, yeah, okay, go for it. That's a good idea, but be careful. Use it with discernment. Because down deep in your gut, you you know that what you are observing is only the tip of the iceberg. The behaviors in a person's life reflect their heart. Slow down, show in-depth insight, and work the core problem. Life can be so fast and it preoccupies so much that that we don't give deep, careful, and reflective time to think about our friends. I realize some believers want to live in a polite world where good Christian folk don't talk about sin. I'm familiar with that world. But if you choose not to speak into someone's life because you're too busy, too preoccupied, or too polite, you will be complicit in their sin And so ask the Spirit to give you the insight, but also to give you the courage to live in reality. All right, number four, know their frame. As you pray for your friends, 
you will discern their weaknesses. This will enable you to develop a strategy to serve them with compassion. I use this language, uh, know their frame, because I'm coming right out of right out of David's playbook in Psalm 103. God knows our frame and he pities us. Though we're not omniscient, we too can understand a person's frame. I'm, I'm very much aware that you're not going to know a person entirely. You're not going to know them the way God knows us and knows you, but it's one way we can imitate the Lord, albeit within our finite limitations and imperfect perspectives. So as you learn them, there will be things that come to light, stuff that you could not see before because you were not as intentional with them or you weren't paying close enough attention. When you live in the light with your friends, the darkness is going to it's going to scatter and you will discern them like never before. We're under point number four, know their frame. And then will come the self-righteous temptations. You want to be careful. If this greater than, better than sin happens along with your increased awareness of your friends, you will want to imitate the Lord here, too. He is fully aware of who you were, who you are, and who you will be. And he does not react to you with a bad attitude. He knows our frame. He pities us, Psalm 103. Let your awareness about how God thinks about you modulate how you think about others. Isn't that the temptation? As you grow in awareness, your humility can decrease. My awareness increases and my humility decreases. This too happens in marriage as well. You don't know them as well when you're dating, no matter how long you've been dating But when you move in and you're living together, you're now married, uh, your awareness is going to grow like it's never grown before. And if you're not careful, the more you know about someone, the more frustrated you can become with them. That's why point number four, know their frame is so vital. Because once you once you begin to focus in, dial in on those because you want to be redemptive in their lives, it can prove to be problematic. The title of the podcast, Six Practical Thoughts When When Helping I said difficult person, but but when helping a person, when helping anyone. Number one, I may change the title, by the way, because I'm thinking I'm liking it less as I'm working through this podcast, but six practical tips for helping a friend or an enemy. Number one was the doctrine of sin. You've got to understand it. Whether it's your pastor or an enemy, everybody is is prone to it. Number two, everybody's moving at a different pace. Number three, you got to live in reality. What you see is probably what you got. And then number four, know their frame. And that means guard your heart from this greater than, better than self-righteous attitude. Number five, attitude of forgiveness. Kind of obvious, right? Let's say that you understand sin. Step number one, that you get this idea that everybody's has a different pace, point number two. And you're living in the reality now. You're not burying your head in the sand, point number three. 
You know their frame, and, and now you're showing compassion on them, number four. Now you want to add one more excellent tip to the list, and that's an attitude of forgiveness. Biff, Biffina, Biff had the adulterous wife. Biffina had the knuckleheaded dad, and Bart had had the mentor who who went south. They could quickly cop an attitude toward the disappointing people in their lives if they have not done the things that I've already suggested about the doctrine of sin, knowing the pace, living in reality, and knowing their frame. It's easy to be disappointed by people. They let us down because they make mistakes. Now, for the record, when I said it's easy to be disappointed by people, you and I are part of the people that I'm describing. Never, if you've been listening to me for a while, you've heard me talk about the log in your eye from Matthew 7. Always keep that tip close. Keep it close to your eye. Keep it in your mind. Because whenever you start thinking about other people, disappointing people specifically, it is so, so easy. It is way too easy to forget that you're part of the people. We've done disappointing things to our friends and to our enemies. If you don't adjust your attitude by making the playing field level for all, You could become angry or frustrated or bitter or disappointed or vengeful or maybe some other unsavory response. How about if you fill in the blank there? I'm talking about point number five, an attitude of forgiveness. A clearer gospel perspective releases you from these kinds of traps. You do not have to let evil overcome you. There's a passage, and you're familiar with it, I'm, I'm sure, in Romans 12. It's just a beautiful passage to memorize, by the way. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, one of the harder passages, too, to read, especially if you're struggling with someone. But you want this clearer gospel perspective. And if you have it, log in your own eye how God thinks about you. It will release you from these kinds of of traps. There may be the need to ask the Lord to give you an attitude of forgiveness towards someone. You may not be able to forgive them transactionally because they are not asking you, but you can forgive them in your heart, which is what an attitude of forgiveness means. An attitude forgiveness, what it does is it releases you from the burden of, of their sin, There's some times where this is all that you can do. One of the illustrations that I have used historically is my relationship with my father. He passed away when I was 19 years old. God did not regenerate me till I was 25, and so this whole idea for forgiveness was was not an option. But I could not go to him and transact forgiveness because, well, he was dead But if I wasn't careful, I could be controlled, managed by all the things that he did to me in the past, and 
I was managed for a long time. And so I had to do this redemptive work in, the, in, in my heart to come to the place of having an attitude of forgiveness for them. And, and so that's why point number five is so significant. You may not be able to transact it, but you must be released from it. Point number six, now you're ready to pursue redemption, redemptive efforts. Though you hold your perspectives loosely about the person that you have in mind, because you're not omniscient, you are now ready to pursue your friends redemptively. Having proper discernment while calibrating your heart will position you to act redemptively in their lives. Joseph is an excellent picture of what this looks like for us. Joseph was for his brothers. He was really for them. And that's part of the attitude that you want to adopt toward the people that you want to serve redemptively. I mean, if you're not for them, you're against them. There's no neutrality here. And so you want to address that as well. If you're going to pursue redemption, the question you have to ask, am I really for this person? Maybe you could ask the other person that sometimes, I mean, parents can ask their children this. It's an excellent question. As a parent is correcting their child or about to discipline their child to ask this question, or maybe at some other time, a civil time, when when there's not any corrective action in, in view, you can go to your child and say, how do you perceive me? Do Do, do you sense that I'm really for you? That would be an excellent leadership opportunity for for you parents. And so Joseph was for his brothers. There's no question about it. And God was with Joseph. He was motivated to view them through a redemptive lens rather than a self-serving, revengeful one. Of course, Jesus is our ultimate example. As he hung on the cross, he could look upon those who were putting him to death and extend, here it is, an attitude of forgiveness toward them. As you see in Luke 23, 34, while becoming a redemptive rescuer in their lives, he did not forgive them transactionally when he was hanging on the cross. That's not how forgiveness works in a transactional way. They did not receive forgiveness, but you you hear, you sense, you feel the attitude of forgiveness that he had for them. We're talking about pursuing redemption. Imagine if the gospel governed your perspective on your disappointing friends. There is no telling how you may be able to speak in their lives to where they could see and experience God more powerfully. Now, perhaps, as I shared at the beginning of this podcast, if you ponder the call to action points that I gave you, it would assist you to work these six things into your heart. Number one, you must really have a a good understanding of the doctrine of sin whether it's your pastor or your worst nightmare, the doctrine of sin does not respect people. And so you have to understand it. Number two, a different pace. Everybody's on a different pace, and don't expect them to be like you. Number three, live in reality. Probably go with your gut feeling on what you see and hear from this person. Number four, know their frame. 
know their frame and pity them and have compassion. Number five, have an attitude of forgiveness toward them because you will be disappointed just as you have disappointed others. And then number six, you have positioned yourself to pursue people redemptively. I'm going to go back to the call to action. Here are the two questions or the question groups that I ask you. Number one, what two things did the Spirit heighten in your awareness as you listened to this podcast? I'm just asking for two things. Maybe he gave you 10 things. Praise praise God. Number three, uh, number two, or, or part of number one, what are your biblical responses to this light that he gave you? And then will you follow through with an action plan to take advantage of his grace right now? If grace is operating in your heart, then stop if you can, if you're in a position to stop and minimally make a note and then come back later and begin working through an action plan to take advantage of this grace that he's given you. Question number two, what individual do you need to help? Name the name. Who is he? Who is she? Follow up. What do you need to do to position yourself as a means of redemptive grace in their life? Are there heartwork items that you need to deal with first before you even talk to them? Maybe this whole attitude, this whole point about an attitude of forgiveness is something that you want to address because your heart is just not ready to reach out to this person. And then question number three here under the call to action, I have eight points here. I'll just give you one more. Is there a particular kind of person that annoys you? The question is, the follow-up question is, are they sinning? Are they actually sinning or is is it a preferential matter? Uh, that 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 will determine how you respond to them. But I know that we can have certain people, people groups, personalities, preferences that we just don't like, and they they get under our skin. And so, is there a particular kind of person who annoys you? And then the second part: Are they actually sinning, or is it preferential? And then the last part of this is: What is the best way for you to adjust so you can be a means of grace in their lives? If you want to talk about this podcast, I would love for you to do that. Jump on our free forums, and and we're right here. We're ready to answer your questions. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net. RickThomas.net.